This is the land of the free. Stories of life and liberty in a time of war. Hi, this is Joe Lindsley, American in Kyiv. This is our Land of the Free podcast with Ukrainska Pravda, Ukrainian Truth. I have been reporting in Ukraine every single day on Chicago's WGN Radio. And here on this Land of the Free podcast, we are privileged to speak with some of the smartest, most brilliant Ukrainians and foreigners here working for victory and freedom. And today we have a conversation with uh, a great Ukrainian who I, I first met in the city of Kharkiv, uh, Pani Deputatka Maria Metsintseva. Correct. Uh, Hello. <laughs> Maria, great to see you. Great to see you again. <laughs> Maria is a member of parliament, or in the Ukrainian language, a deputy of the Vokovna Rada, the Supreme Council, the, 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 the parliament of Ukraine. And she's from the city of Kharkiv, one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, I call it the center of the free world, just 30 miles from Russia. And Maria, as a member of parliament, uh, you have been uh, not only working on legislation here to help the people of Ukraine in the time of war. But you've been a very, uh, a, a very key voice traveling the world. Uh, you're soon going to the U.S. Probably when this airs, you will be in the United States. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, and so you are a great advocate of Ukraine and Ukrainian freedom. Uh, and so I, we're honored to have this conversation. And first, I want to talk about, we'll start by talking about your city of Kharkiv, uh, a city that, that, I mean, is dear to me. I spent probably, I'm, I'm, pro- I'm there at least once a month. And you, you grew up in Kharkiv, and you've seen that city, uh, sort of the resilience of that city uh, through these past 21, 22 months. Uh, how is Kharkiv city right now? Yeah, thank you, Joe, for starting specifically with something which is deep in uh, my heart because I'm indeed from Kharkiv. I was born there. I finished Ukrainian English grammar school there, graduated from the uni. You know, my first jobs were there, first uh, experience with politics, uh, especially the local ones. Currently, we call Kharkiv as unbreakable, as basically every other village, city, town, or region of Ukraine, as it did not uh, surrender to uh, Russians who actually invaded the city, almost approached its, um, uh, you know, central parts and were stopped by brave territorial defense and regular battalion of Ukrainian army. Uh, I will never forget those days because at the same time, you could not be present there immediately as the parliamentarians were voting on the day of invasion on martial law. Exactly. And it was seven, ten past seven a.m. And I was one of, of, of those who arrived to the parliament, one of the first waves of arrivals, I went uh, immediately on TV to make sure that the people know we haven't left the country, we're here, we're with you, we will now vote uh, the martial law, etc. But my heart was torn apart because back in Kharkiv, the battles were so terrifying and and you know we we kept on reading the news we did not know what's going to happen next but i was so sure that as kharkiv was not did not surrender to russian propaganda in 2014 when the aggression actually has started against Ukraine by Russia, uh, when sort of this green man in unknown uniform were not only present in Crimea, but also in Kharkiv, trying to promote the understanding that they are there to uh, support and, let's say, defend the rights to speak Russian in a mostly Russian-speaking city. What is interesting today is that many people are switching consciously, not only youth, 
but the generation, for instance, of my parents and older, uh, because we are not just fighting today for buildings, cities, roads and regions we're fighting. It's, this is existential war for our culture, for our language and for, for, for the core existence of our nation. Well, I, I've felt that uh, deeply. I mean, I, I went to Kharkiv uh, January 2022. And I wanted to see this city. I don't know why. I was sort of, I was, was compelled to go visit it. Best time. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it, um, so I got to see it before the full-scale invasion. Yeah. And it was, I never saw a city in my life that had more of the spirit of the American dream. Everyone I met there said, in my city, you can do, you can, if you have a goal, you can, if you work hard, you can achieve it. Perfect. And, and that was, that was the spirit of that city. And then to have all that bombarded and, you know, I mean, the Kharkiv, those first weeks, as you say, I mean, it was incredibly intense, but Kharkiv, because I'd heard the history of what happened in 2014, Kharkiv was why I knew Ukraine was not going to fall because the Russians tried, they took it for a few hours, maybe in 2014 and the people defended that city. And since in, in, in the past oh, you know, year and a half that I've been going to Kharkiv, I, I've seen more and more people speaking Ukrainian language. Yeah. Uh, that's why I feel at home there. It's, it's this great center of rejuvenation of the Ukrainian spirit. Exactly. And you know that historically there are several interesting facts. To be very proud, some uh, people in Kharkiv call it the first capital, but it actually was never the first capital. We have the only capital which is Kiev since centuries. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Kiev is also called the mother of the, um, well, it's literally uh, but Rus is actually the word Rus is actually a Ukrainian uh, word for the kingdom of Kiev. The Rus were the they were the Viking people that Absolutely. sailed down from Absolutely. what's now Sweden. Absolutely, it was it was just uh, uh, yet again a part of the history which was uh, which which is being still trying to be stolen from us. But Kharkiv was a capital in terms of Moscow ruling, so Kremlin ruling. It was more convenient to mm. do it from the west, eastern part of Ukraine, so, like rather than Kiev, for instance. So this is the first legend I'm trying to defeat when I'm traveling and talking to foreigners or when uh, foreigners are visiting. And the second part that uh, as well, Ukrainian language was widely spoken in the region as well as well as in Donbass. If you go to any village in Donbass, uh, next to Donetsk, Lugansk, etc., you would be hearing babushkas, grandmas, uh, babusi speaking Ukrainian purely. And, uh, and that's again, you know, it beats the legend that you know, there there were some Russian-speaking population that needed a a sort of protection, but that leads us to a uh, famous saying of um, uh, now finally internationally recognized uh, dictator because it's in the new resolution of the Council of Europe Parliamentary Assembly. Putin as a dictator, he tells everyone all the time that Russia stops where the Russian language stops. So basically. It, Nowhere, it's it's everywhere. So we are uh, currently trying to, you know, reproduce uh, our history and our identity. I think it's boosting tremendously in different, you know, clothes designs in 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 the songs. Why we are so sad when we see snow falling, for instance, like today in Kiev? Because for us, it's a never-ending 24th of February when it was snowing, it was still cold, and the, there was a complete unknown in front of us. But indeed, uh, regardless what the military experts across the globe were saying, uh, we did not fall within 72 hours. And I think, yet again, the the 
something the best what we what we can take from this aggression is that the nation was glued immediately it was like a super glue if you remember back in the childhood when you break something it can glue it so the super glue was the aggression which led to tremendous changes in the society and in the world it it did change the landscape of security so from you know a city of two million people population Kharkiv to a global scale of the changes that's 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 impressive moreover uh, point number three and four which not many people know we have the largest uh, square which is Freedom Square and the largest theater opera and ballet theater in Europe after the Munich Opera so it was also targeted by Russian rockets but we maintained the building it's in my constituency it's very symbolic and the theater was traveling across the world to <clears throat> show that the culture never dies. You cannot destroy it with rockets. And it was very emotional. So this is to say we have many things to be proud of. We can surely, you know, have sort of a Dubai in the neighborhood of Saltivka, which was the most densely populated neighborhood in Europe. So half a million people live there. They still do. And our task is to bring them, you know, the light of hope, the um, uh, the, the fact that the government can... Um, reimburse them for these losses, but not only the Ukrainian government. There are 45 states who signed a special um, document for reparations, and not only for the buildings, but also for different war crimes, like sexual war crimes, losses of the beloved ones, etc. And I, I also think it's unprecedented. Something that happens today in Ukraine also marks the changes in international law. And I'm sure, Joe, when you witnessed numerous war crimes, you would agree, and one would agree, that justice has to come first as well. We know it takes long, but we have to get it done. Are you saying that uh, international war crime legislation has changed? Absolutely. Let's say we we gave a a new bright um, side to it, because... In a, in a different way, aggressions were taken across the globe. Since Second World War, there was not even one tribunal who would drag to justice an aggressor, a political leader and his like political and military friends or like, I don't know, group who were planning, conducting and ordering these war crimes. So if aggression would never occur, we would be never facing these numerous war crimes. And today, uh, President Zelensky puts it very clearly in the peace plan, which was supported by 143 states in January, current year, in the UN General Assembly. And one of the points is the uh, responsibility. Responsibility for the top crime, which is crime of aggression. We think Putin and Lavrov and Shoigu, they have to be in the court. For that, we have some trick in the international law. Unfortunately, International Criminal Court cannot prosecute them because they did not ratify Rome Statute. Mm-hmm. One might say, some international lawyers who listen to our podcast might say, yeah, Maria, but uh, Ukraine uh, didn't do it either. Yes, but we have an intention to do so. How- however, Russia would never do something to, you know, to prosecute itself. 
even though uh, a recent interesting case, Armenia has ratified the Rome Statute, a country which usually, you know, would be seen as friendly to Russia. And mm-hmm. Putin cannot travel to Armenia any longer because he, according to recent International Criminal Court warrant on deported children, which is a crime of genocide, actually, is on the list of all those countries. It's more than 150. So basically one third, more than one third of the globe over there is unwanted and it poses yet again you know a sign to him that look dude <laughs> sorry you cannot do what you're doing and it sends another signal to other possible aggressors across the globe that look guys if you are a if you are planning to annex the territories of another state which is a pure understanding of aggression if you are planning to um, launch uh, military operations elsewhere rather than in your internationally recognized borders you will be prosecuted so that's that's impressive because the, these crimes and the understanding of them of the crime of aggression was actually developed in Lviv by Jewish German lawyers and that's in, right after World War II right exactly it, it, just before just a little like three years before um, Nuremberg was set there's up there's a so great still book during the called war. East West Street correct. Do, correct I can't remember the name of the author but we'll put it in the description yeah and it's a story Lem- of two Lviv lawyers yeah Lemkin Lemkin, Lemkin. one of them yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and, uh, and Lautenberg Mm-mm-mm. and they both Joe, it's it's so it's like I have shivers right now because the idea of the tribunal uh, when I well I've read about Lemkin back in my university years but I didn't know the the concept was really developed in my in the basement of an apartment which I rent in Kiev and then linking it to other lawyers in US in UK and across the globe and you know now we collected forty governments in Berlin recently talking about already the format. I mean, isn't it amazing? Maria, I, I remember during the pandemic in yeah. a cafe in Kiev, I read that book. Just as interesting history, I never would have imagined that we'd actually have to deal with this in a very practical way, exactly. such that we're talking about it here yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, you see that, and, and you see the importance of of not letting go of these war crimes and yeah. not forgetting them. And, you know, it was uh, maybe last week, the BBC had a story that really annoyed me, but it was uh, about 20,000 Ukrainians who have defected. They've, they've crossed through the woods or over the river uh, to, give, to get away from conscription. And they spent so many resources to investigate these guys that are just getting away. And meanwhile, we have these heinous war crimes that have happened. And, and, you know, it's hard to investigate things in Russia because there's no free press. Uh, but but this stuff has to be investigated. And when I was uh, uh, maybe in September in your region, in Kharkiv region, I went to some villages that still came under shelling uh, and into houses that had been occupied by the Russians. And it's so much of what I saw when we saw on October 7th uh, when Hamas attacked Israel. They were and painting still death hostages, to Ukrainians yeah, yeah. And, and the horrible things that happened. In, in those houses. It reminded us a flashback. We were yeah. like on the streets of Bucha back then, you know, or the streets of Irpin or the streets of Kupiansk, which is in Kharkiv region. And, and I don't think we should let it go because I, you know, this is also a story of my family. We have a missing person and he's missing for more than a, like, since the beginning of the full scale. He He's a teacher in a Ukrainian school. Uh, it happened at the temporary occupied uh, territories. And I think, uh, like, I've opened up about it just 
this summer because I received so many requests from different Ukrainian families asking what can we do, how can we search for them, how can we involve International Committee of the Red Cross, which receives a lot of funds from US, you know, UK, European states, Australia, everywhere for the humanitarian purposes like this or to search for war prisoners of war who are also Ukrainian soldiers to conduct exchanges. But civilian cases are terribly odd in a way, you know, we we, we, we literally don't know where, for instance, our relative is. Is he, We hope he's alive, he's verified as alive, but these the, the stories are rolling since 2014. And this, this insane pain, which is brought by the illegal deportation of Ukrainian children, and we are extremely thankful to, to the people of America who are now hosting uh, Ukrainian families, Ukrainian children who lost their parents or are disconnected with their orphaned uh, families, or, um, you know, they are in need of uh, extra uh, help for the, for the various. Uh, health issues and um, physical difficulties or at least a you know stress which they've been through during the war so I think we you know we cannot be more uh, thankful than that we can we should be more thankful that, than we are for specifically for these cases and I think you ask has an authority in in terms of uh, political will to to strengthen the fact that you know we have to use the realistic mechanism and this is for instance international red cross and we we remember how they could not travel to Olenivka. It was uh, under uh, under temporary occupation territory. Ukraine was always given security guarantee. Russia never did. And then we remember what happened. Russia just shelled our uh, military personnel there. The, the 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 soldiers who were taken hostage, who became war prisoners, it's according the, to the Geneva Convention. Who, yeah, yeah, and then they yeah. they just shelled them. They killed them alive. They, no they were they were sleeping yeah. and. And, you know, they they tried to accuse Ukraine. Well, all international society knew it, it was not real. So I think bringing the stories, for instance, what we will do in our tour in America, not only in San Francisco or New York or D.C., our aim is to, first of all, uh, bring these real stories of, of the families, of children, of culture, of our current needs, uh, and to, uh, to, you know, to explain yet again why American taxpayers are investing in this and why it makes such a huge difference to us. Because um, I think the, the propaganda which exists in every country is trying, especially the powerful Russian propaganda, we, we can assess it in different ways, but they do they do really good sometimes. They're trying to oppose the cases of divisions, you know, Republican Democrats, and then this and that way, East and West. Ukraine is forgotten. Ukraine is not being in the top stories. I think, I think this is is us, um, people, politicians, those who are, you know, doing expert of diplomacy, as I as I call it, we have to bring the stories out loud because, for instance, we have relatives living in the U.S. and I know how it how it is done in Michigan State, how they do the cultural events, how they're um, doing Thanksgiving with Ukrainian community to uh, to support each other at least because being away from home. 
is difficult. And, you know, many people who never thought they would appear in the U.S., but it was their dream. They're finally there and they're contributing as Ukrainians to the economy of U.S. They are recruited. They have several foreign languages, several masters. They're skillful. So this is not bad to have Ukrainians in your community. And I think these cases uh, are not yet well delivered. So we're going to try to fix that. The story is not told. And (laughs) that's part of the reason why you're going to the U.S. Exactly. And as I think about this question of propaganda and so many Americans I know who believe in freedom, if they really knew the truth, if they, if they saw Ukraine, if they came here to visit, like every American I know who comes comes here to visit, like our friend who's an editor at the New York Post, yeah, uh, and I, we brought her to Kharkiv. I think you brought her to Kharkiv, and she she stayed. She quit her Paris vacation. She came for two days. She, sta- she yeah, stayed for two for weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> yeah. and, and she skipped Paris yeah. to stay in Kharkiv. Yeah, yeah, I remember and, that. And she was so captivated by by the Ukrainian <clears> people, <throat> and she told me. When she left, she had never had better conversations in her life. She was so inspired by what she saw here. And I know that that would be true of so many of the Americans I know, including people who are pretty influential in politics. If they saw the real spirit, they would be they would want to do everything they could to help. But they don't see that. You know, Absolutely. it gets lost in the propaganda. And I think one thing, especially you as a member of the Ukrainian parliament, one of the big... Uh, talking points that Russian propaganda pushes and a lot of Americans believe is that, you know, you know, they say uh, Zelensky banned religion, you know, there's no freedom of religion, freedom of speech, uh, all, all these things that, you know, that, 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 that you know, we know here are not true because this is an incredibly free country. Um, but how would you describe, like, first, like, looking at your role as a member of parliament, uh, during this time, you know, there, there's uh, discussions about whether or not there will be elections. Yeah. Uh, what, how is it for you in a member of a democratic government in a time when democracy is under martial law? Well, what is that like for you in the parliament? I think Ukrainian parliament within 32 years of the, of and almost 32 years of independence has never felt as united as it is today, has never voted so many laws with constitutional majority. For us, it's 300 plus votes. And it's really a matter of fact. We can, we can look through statistics. And it comes to laws not only linked to surely strengthening armed forces, increasing their salaries, giving them everything we can. Our actually our next year budget is 21.5% allocations to the military uh, security and defense. It's, uh, the NATO countries are allocating 2%. <laughs> That's just to compare how dedicated we are. And and the, the parliament is functioning well. We uh, get together every second week. Every week we have online committees and COVID contributed to that because you can be in the US, but you can vote for the laws. For instance, in the committee I represent, Euro-Atlantic Committee. So it's for EU and NATO, NATO integration. And I'm very proud that, you know, I've dedicated 14 years of my life to European integration when I had a position of um, stagiaire, a trainee in European Parliament in 2012, just before, Brussels, the re- yeah. Yeah, just before the Revolution of Dignity. I actually landed in Kiev on the day of the Revolution of Dignity. And, and I mean, thinking right now that it's been 10 years already since we were at Maidan in Kharkiv in Kiev, Orange Revolution as well, that it's, it's unbelievable. Time flies so fast. But today we're during the full-scale aggression, we're a candidate state to the EU with almost uh, at the edge of opening negotiations for the full membership. We are talking about 
I think, very expected Washington summit of NATO. I think it is political decision to, uh, which which is still put on hold, put on pause on our membership because we would only strengthen NATO, not reversal, and we should not uh, be. You see, I'm saying us, but the partners should not be afraid of it because Article 5 of a collective defense is already activated because you guys are giving us more than 600 different types of NATO weapons and they're being tested in Ukraine and used so efficiently that one can only, you know, dreamt about. And then I think deplo- I think parliamentary level is so crucial because I would not, I will never forget this trip. Uh, it was uh, eight members of Ukrainian parliament. One was already um, abroad. She gave up her mandate uh, for that later. We traveled ladies only. Some were traveling with uh, small children, uh, pets even, because we didn't know whether we're going to come back, you know, what will happen with us on the trip because we are on the kill list of Putin. And he knew we we're going there to um, get rid of Russia in the Council of Europe for international when was this, this was it was it was beginning of march mm-hmm. it was beginning of march yeah, yeah. and I, I said ladies we are packing our suitcases because it's going to take us three days to arrive to strasbourg and brussels and london we did a small tour we met um, different leaders macron boris johnson then uh, you know others it was it was fascinating how we were received it was fascinating that we debated for 11 hours whether russia should be or not it was not a debate whether it should leave Council of Europe, but every person who told me in January, just three weeks before the invasion, because we had a session there, oh, Maria, look, you're over-exaggerating, 150,000 troops. I mean, maybe they're observing, maybe it's something is going on. I mean, I truly didn't believe myself in the full-scale invasion. I thought something will go- be going on in Crimea and Donbass, as it used to be before. But the, you know how people absolutely switched to a full support of Ukraine? It was very evident and i think we i think we we don't have to maintain it we have to increase it but using different means and different instruments and joe you're very right it's so far to travel i mean i'm still uh, you know uh trying to uh sleep over the jet lag after canadian trip but it's worth it like three movies and you are on european continent <laughs> three movies and you're gonna witness historical developments because we uh, you know this you know maybe phrases are would sound different uh, to to many people but indeed we're fighting for the freedom which every american believes in i as um baptized christian orthodox reading sometimes quran and praying in catholic church i don't think one can accuse uh any any or president or parliamentarians we indeed want to shut down the Moscow church in Ukraine because it's not the church. They are praying for those who are killing us. Yes. They are praising uh, Patriarch Kirill, who is officially KGB agent. You know, you, we can Google it. I mean, it's the same face. And, and, and I think Americans who would hear our podcast would be very much interested in this story. So the freedom is there. We've been fighting for it constantly. It's not only about this 10 years. It's about our... Uh, several s- centuries or even, I, didn't, I don't know, since the ninth century when uh, mm, the diplomacy was flourishing with other uh, European countries and uh, the mm, daughters of Yaroslav the Wise, our king, uh, gave birth to another 150 kings and queens across Europe. So 
you know, we have nothing to prove. I think we've proven with the the blood which remains in the soil of Ukraine, how how dedicated we are. But you cannot fight a country with nuclear power, which is occupying our nuclear power station in Ukraine with sticks. You know, we should we must have air defense. Yes, indeed, we can rely on our production. But I mean, we're not producing NASA. I'm so patriots. It's the US who doesn't. And that's why I mean, key. And, and you know, I just give one figure to everyone who would listen to us. It's it's for instance, uh, the shutdowns in Kiev and other regions already started like Facebook remind me of a picture when I I'm eating borscht next to candles <laughs> because there was nothing to do. Last it was winter. no light, no nothing. Yeah, yeah. Internet was almost down mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, satellites cannot uh, run fast and it was only able to send some messages of WhatsApps that I'm alive. And uh, and uh, and it was already happening. So now, more or less, you can see that we are okay. You know, there were no massive shellings because we protected our infrastructure. But one uh, shot from uh, uh, the from Patriot uh, rocket is four point one million dollars, and. If the infrastructure of some power plant station is affected, it's $14.9 million. So, I mean, what is cheaper? I think it's cheaper to provide air defense. And, you know, it's not like we're demanding. I think uh, this is uh, this is the unfortunate reality. And, and no one is uh, saying that war might not overlap over the ocean one day from one or another side. Russia is quite a big country. And, and they're testing us. They're testing not only democracy, but they're testing American will every day, you know? Okay, we're going to make another step uh, on the soil of Ukraine by doing this war crimes and shelling uh, hospitals and schools. What's going to be the response? Are you going to put uh, extra sanctions? Are you going to put some oligarchs? And by the way, applause to the Manhattan court, which uh, sent back uh, the, the, the funds of some not very known oligarch, but still it's for the reconstruction of Ukraine. So there are many topics which I think we are under speaking and those those movies we've been uh, watching when we were children in Ukraine, it was the favorite nights of Friday when our national TV was showing American movies with a translation into English, but you could still hear American accent and, and <laughs> the English so you can practice a little bit. And um, I can tell you that uh, I, I, I would never thought that it's going to be us here in Ukraine who are defending something that U.S. was built on, that the founding fathers were talking about. Uh, the, 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 those who many Americans see on dollars, and <laughs> not only. Well, I mean, I, and I feel that you know, this week that we're recording here, it's a, it's a ten, ten years ago this week, the Maidan Revolution, the Revolution of Dignity began, and I really, I mean, everything I've studied about political theory, I think that's one of the most extraordinary revolutions in human history. And it start, you know, it was Ukrainian people who were peaceful, and you, the secret police came and they fired their bullets, and the people refused to leave the streets until the government, the regime, pro-Putin regime, fled. And you think about what the world would be like if there was not the Maidan Revolution. Russia would control all of Ukraine they'd control absolutely and, and, it, it could have happened they yeah. they were planning to use the puppet government government moreover they were planning to use the same people who left the country in 2014 
now in February 2022 because we saw different famous names on on the different information channels that they're planning to become governors, city mayors, like we knew who might be the city mayor of Kharkiv. (laughs) We're like, dude, first of all, you come to Ukraine, pass the courts, uh, you know, pay uh, what you have to pay to Ukrainian banks after you raped them. And then we talk. And well, first you go to jail and then we talk. So this is something extraordinary, which Ukrainian students started. I mean, I was a student myself. I just finished back then my second master's on European integration. And for me... you in the Maidan in Kharkiv or in Kyiv? Yeah, yeah, I was both in Mm -hmm. Kyiv and then Kharkiv. We were traveling by trains. By the way, um, we pray for everyone who's involved in Ukrainian rails because there was not even one train which was late or did not or did not come on the route. Whereas, you know, sometimes in Berlin and France, (laughs) I'm late for for some sessions uh, (laughs) of the meetings because the trains are late. So um, just, just to say that the the resilience which which came with uh, with the spirit back uh, then uh, 10 years ago people already started i think to forget that the f- the the highest number of european flags that the eu has ever seen was there in maidan with maidans in every from from Lutsk to Kharkiv, from Chernigiv to Yalta, even because it was not yet occupied, and yes. and yeah, the commitment was very clear. We are ref- we are we are turning our backs to the former USSR Soviet Union past, where, for instance, I was born at the collapse of, on the, in the year of the collapse of the USSR, and and thank God it was this you know this legacy did not. Um, influence me because I was too little. And when we're talking about such things as Budapest Memorandum, could we secure ourselves with the documents being signed? Could we skip giving up on our jets uh, and the bombs, which are actually now being targeting us? It's fr- they're from Ukraine, and and could we uh, not not give up on nukes that we uh, that. That was taken also by Russia back then. We were too little to 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 act, you know. We I was one year old and <laughs> probably just um, dreaming back then about something linked to politics by watching the news. But today we have a, this power. Uh, the, the people gave us this power. We are coming from Maidan to the parliament. We are, let's say, well, I'm not saying we are, the previous convocation was mostly elected from Maidan because it was um, the politicians who basically have their grass, grassroots in Maidan. But us as well, we are uh, we are social activists. We were working for international NGOs. Uh, I currently represent uh, the uh, IRI, uh, International Republican Institute, in the eastern regions of Ukraine. Which works on uh, clean elections. Absolutely, but also NDI uh, contributed so much. The uh, National Democratic Institute, when I was still a city councilor, and actually the trainers of NDI persuaded me to run for parliamentary elections because I was like, okay, but I am with another party now. Okay, I support, you know, President Zelensky, but is it okay to run, uh, you know, with, with with his party? So, so it was... American support, for instance, in my personal case, was always with me. And I mean, I have participated in work and travel and things like that. It it was really um, fascinating how today we are learning from each other. And I think Americans are also learning something practically uh, what 
the the movies are teaching us with with the level of how patriotic we can be so we can be in ukraine patriotic to the extent as our anthem th- says uh, we we are willing to give our um, body and our soul uh, for for freedom and for our existence so i think it's you know when you are in a cozy apartment or office it's very valuable when you donate for something, even when you feed pets, for instance, but you do it over the ocean, or you help some grandmas with medicine, or indeed you sign up to a petition on extra military support to Ukraine. And uh, it's a matter of fact, We it, it it's, it's a matter of survival for us. You are number one, friends, in US, you are number one, uh, according to the you know the amount of tax payments and this huge 61.7 i think billion package with the we are expecting and i hope both republicans and democrats as i've heard it in canada from them they will support and that will we don't want to be the topic which divides we we want to be the topic that unites well, you know as you mentioned those american movies you watched in in the 1990s you know americans love good versus evil superhero yeah. movies and this is that every single day in real- Reality, you know, so you don't just have to live it virtually. You can simply you can buy drones. You can you can vote in a certain way. You can you can help and and I think about that support from the U.S. So much of it is military equipment. It's not just money. They're not pouring money into Kiev. It's 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 technology and equipment, which, as you mentioned, Ukrainians are testing and refining and showing what works and what can be improved. It's an amazing testing ground. And to close uh, right now, I mean, so here we are, it's winter time, it's snowy outside, and we have electricity, we have power here. Thanks God. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, even if there wasn't, we'd still be surviving as, as everyone did last Absolutely. winter. Uh, but this is pretty extraordinary. I mean, I think about what happened on September 22nd when Ukraine sent those storm shadow missiles from the United Kingdom to the Crimean Peninsula, to the occupied Crimean Peninsula, with such precision. And since then, the Black Sea Fleet of Russia has been on the run. Yeah. And cities like Kiev are protected because of the Patriot missile battery. But at the same time, you have Kharkiv and Odessa, places without that air defense are bombarded. Places near the front line are hit very often. And Ukrainians have shown, it's for sure, what can be done with these long-range pre- precision missiles. Yeah. Uh, but you need more of them. Is that... I mean, that's yeah, just- that's that's very true. And Joe, you you are very precise with the names of the uh, items and kits. Uh, I would also say that, for instance, platform United Twenty Four, which can be, be easily googled, uh, is providing an opportunity for those who would want to in- invest or contribute to drones, because everyone who played PlayStation back in the days are now flying FPV drones, and FPV drones is like a spider. <laughs> Like a, like your hand, let's say it's just for people to understand the the how how big of a size it is. It costs around three hundred fifty bucks, and it can destroy a tank of ten million dollars. So they are effective. And then uh, we have you know many funny uh, like uh, videos how guys are becoming dizzy when the, you know when they hit the tank. You know it's immediately a dizzy situation because you're happy, but also flying the FPV drones is not very easy. Like you have to have the skills. But as I refer it to the PlayStation 
Russian game is funny. <laughs> uh, we also we also understand that technologies are overlapping in this war. So when Russians couldn't understand how are we using the drones, how do like how did we manage to throw bottles with water when Kherson uh, region was still not uh, was still under occupation to save the people's life, or how the 92 Brigade, um, the um, drone section called Achilles, saved the life of a Russian soldier by by taking him by drone to the spot where he became a safety spot oh, he where he became a war prisoner. Yeah, and the, and, he yeah. he tore apart his t-shirt with having something white. Yeah, mm -hmm. to show to indicate that he would want to surrender, and the drone of this Achilles, uh, um, uh, you know, group uh, drone group uh, in the 92 Brigade, they took them to the place where he became a war prisoner. I, I don't know the, uh, the fate of him now, but Ukraine commits to Geneva Conventions, and I, I truly believe that he spoke to his relatives, and at least he, he was alive, unlike those who were next to him during the battle, so they were willing to fight further and died. So that's such a huge uh you know un, un, even, pro, probably for some unrealistic uh understanding of humanity on the battlefield of international law at the battlefield and uh, i think our warriors also uh invent many things like they you know enhance a little bit this fpv drones or they play with this okay the mavic uh, is a chinese drone but we still managed to enrich it with some kids you enrich and it and you take away the chinese technology yeah 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 so, yeah. so, yeah. so also the development of um demining of the robots which are demining our territory because you know that russians uh, took uh, advantage of this time and they mined fields from 2 to 22 kilometers. That's why the counteroffensive, which everyone was talking about, was uh, it was successful, I think, but it was not as speedy as we would want it to be. So operation in Kharkiv region, let's say Kharkiv 2.0, didn't happen in, in uh, Zaporizhia area or uh, the Donbass area. Uh, but I'm sure it will, because we are receiving with every package, like just yesterday, uh, a U.S. and announced another package of uh, military support. I think it will be rolling yesterday. The Minister of D Defense of Germany arrived. You know, I remember us with the girls wearing uh, leopard uh, dresses to uh, bring the attention to the topic because- In honor of the leopard tanks. Yeah, it was Germany. it was nonsense, yeah. you know, like guys, you have it in the stock, like they are under the dust standing there waiting for jungles to be uh, open for them, but you don't let it happen. So everything took time. Uh, uh, the cluster bombs, uh, amazing decision on the U.S. side. But it was a political decision. It was the, the military decision, the security decision was made way before the political one. So, you know, sometimes the this penetration of politics into the military and vice versa are making things faster, but usually it's slower down stuff. Well, so on that score, my last question would be, uh, especially as you, you're about to go to the U.S., and you think of the story of the cluster bombs, 
you know, in the week leading up to the NATO summit in Vilnius, that was the main headline. Oh, controversial cluster bombs coming to Ukraine. Uh, none of those stories reported that the American cluster bombs are very different from the Russian exactly. cluster bombs. Uh, much more effective, much less collateral damage. And so we got to be very precise about these things. And uh, that gets lost a lot in the American political political discourse. And I think another thing, and it, well, I know for sure, there still is some kind of fear of Russia, a fear that uh, Russia's so-called red lines. And what would you say, as someone who, you know, grew up 30 miles from the Russian border, uh, you know, in a city that with everyone speaks Russian, uh, and you, so you're connected to Russia in many ways, you have family that was living in the Soviet Union, uh, what would you say, and, and then you were part of the revolution of dignity, when, when students stood up to the pro-Russian regime in Ukraine, what would you say to Americans who are afraid of a world without a powerful Russia? I think, um, you know, even when we talk about everyone's small cozy world, we're also afraid of changes. And we think that, you know, the neighboring power may be more dangerous, but it's the it's just a um, the emotions of fear. When you start eating the elephant by parts, it becomes less stressful. And uh, if you look at the at just at the map, how big Russia is, which resources of oil and gas, like, you know, today, Joe, I was watching randomly the online um, uh, figures how much Russia is making per second on oil and gas because it's still not under embargo uh, everywhere in the world. There are countries who are still, uh, you know, buying uh, Russian oil and gas. And this is the main source of for the rockets, drones and everything, the, the Iranian drones that they buy, etc. So this production of uh, Russian oil and gas is flying over to Ukraine against us. So. Even though, even though we are way smaller in territory, uh, we have much less of the population, four times less than in Russia. We, but um, I, I like the phrase that you can't choose uh, the neighbors. However, you can choose friends, and I think we've chosen friends and partners back uh, in the past. And uh, I think. Russia is not testing Ukraine. Russia is testing today our unity and our friendship. If we're going to pass this test, we will see many indigenous people of Russia, uh, like uh, Chechens, uh, Ichkeria, uh, like the Republic of Ichkeria, like um, those people who for regular American person do don't even look like Russian because they're from the far eastern part of Russia. They're closer to Baikal and things like that. But they're indigenous people of Russia who took away their right to speak their native language, to preserve their culture, etc. They just colonized. Uh, they are being colonized by Russia by the imperial imperial regime so i think we are doing here two missions uh, preserving peace in the world, which is promoted by, um, I wouldn't say Western world, but the, the, the world which sees its future in peace, not in wars. And at the same time, it, it might free out the people, the indigenous people of Russia, because we don't talk often about that. It, Russia is not just Moscow and St. Petersburg. There are so many million of people who are there. I, I'm not saying that Russians are not supporting what Putin is doing. According to the uh, question time they did last time, it's still around 70%. It's decreasing a little bit, but still, you know, this, we will see what, what the elections will bring. But I think we should be talking to this indigenous people and to see how they can help us. Not, let's say, not maybe to even to dismantle Russia because we have to do something with this evil. They cannot just be, you know, 
taken hostage the whole the whole world of democracy for the fact that they think that they have a right to. No one gave them that right. So um, I think we also need to uh, present our cases of history. And American history is very rich and interesting. And uh, uh, I love the times when I was in uh, uh, Springfield, Illinois, uh, like going around the Museum of Lincoln and his family. I didn't know how tragic his life was, but he still struggled and fought. And I think he, he the legacy of him lives today. I, I want so that the legacy of Ukraine, of the free Ukraine, would live in centuries for both uh, for both Americans Ukrainians and we also have mixed blood and uh, there are so many Americans who found uh, their uh, true love in Ukraine and vice versa and uh, business opportunities and many other things for that purpose we really need to bring insurances to business like the MIGA international agency already doing even though we've been told it's impossible it's impossible to insure business from the war uh, crimes possible war crimes and war attacks. We did it. Uh, the Ministry of Economy did it. And I think the, the uh, many Americans saw um, a, also a true leader uh, who always uh, U.S. has as someone to be following. And for us, uh, it's our leader, it's President Zelensky, who stayed. And I think it was the most, uh, uh, the most valuable uh, action of that day. Um, otherwise, uh, Ukraine might have fallen. Pani Deputatka, Maria, <laughs> thank you. And <laughs> as you say thank that, you. I feel inspired. And I think of 10 years ago this week, in that cold winter, a few students gathered. It seemed impossible that they could stand up to the, this regime, yep. that regime. And a few months later, by February, it had succeeded. And, and so the Ukraine shows the world uh, what is possible. And uh, so, and uh, I wish I could go back to America soon, but I will stay here every day until victory. And I hope uh, you. you're able to share that. I know you will be able to share your spirit uh, with the American people. And uh, uh, we'll have information about Maria in our in the description. Uh, this has been our Land of the Free podcast with Ukrainska Pravda and our team from Ukrainian Freedom News. I'm Joe Lindsley, American in Kiev, and this is the great Maria Metsinseva. Thank you, Joe. Dziękuję, Slava Ukraina. Heroim Slava. 